0: Well, good morning, Palm Sunday church family. I am happy today that uh, we could be together. I, you're allowing me to be in your front room and share with you. and um, It's next best uh, all being here, obviously. But I am excited about what we're going to be talking about today, Palm Sunday. This is uh, such an important day in history. We, uh, we're looking at, um, you know an event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago that was uh, changing the course of human history and uh, and also how it uh, kind of relates today. We're going to talk about prophecy and uh, I know that uh, some of you um, were excited about talking about how You know, this uh, pandemic is uh, related in any way to Bible prophecy. It's been actually the number one, um, the the number one thing that I've been asked Uh, more than anything else. People have asked me, you know, is are we like in the tribulation period, or is this is this in the you know is this in prophecy? Is there anything related to the end times? And you know, as we're getting closer to that day and no one knows that you know the, the time frame exactly but you know historian bible uh bible teachers both in the old testament um rabbis uh several centuries of uh prior to Christ we have writing and early church fathers as well have been um really it's been really clear that they've um, anticipated a two A two thousand year time period um, from the time of Christ's uh, resurrection until now. Well, if they're accurate, we don't know that they're you know it's going to be right on or they're all accurate, but we're coming close to that time. And uh, and so, how does this relate? And uh, let me just start off. I want to talk to you about Bible, um, just prophecy. Related to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is an Im- amazing and important day. It's a prophetic event in history. And um, it was called Lamb Selection Day. That's, that, that was before it was Palm Sunday. It was Lamb Selection Day. And so today I want to talk about Lamb Selection Day. I want to talk about the fact that there's actually um, the most important Actually, thing that you can know about this day is it was the day that all the children of Israel would be selecting their their sacrifice or lamb sacrifice for um, for the rest. You know, the the, the sacrifice they're going to be making on Palm Sunday. I mean, on um, on Passover. So, right off, take, we take as we take a look at um, this this story. We take we kind of take you back to Jerusalem, and Jesus goes, and he asks the disciples, "Go get this, the, go get go get this um, colt, um, and uh, this donkey, this young donkey, and bring it to him." And he gets on the donkey, and he starts to ride down this pathway down the Mount of Olives into uh, the Kidron Valley, and then up to Jerusalem. That's that's kind of the path that he's going. And that route, by the way, is going to be the same route that the Bible prophesies says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to take that same route. This time he won't be on a donkey, he's going to be on a stallion. He's going to be on a white horse. And because the first time he rode down as a suffering servant, ready to serve and uh, and, 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 in humility, this time he comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So that's our anticipation. Now people were worshiping. They were actually declaring he's, you know, they, they were saying save now. They're worshiping. They're saying Hosanna. They're, they're taking palm branches and throwing them out in front of the, you know, the pathway. And that's why we call it Palm Sunday. But they were worshiping. And what they were doing is actually singing a psalm. We know that because when they were proclaiming Hosanna, they were, they were singing a song from the halal. It's a group of psalms that they sang at that time of the year. And the, in Psalms 118, it actually says that in the psalm, you know, Lord, you're the Savior, Lord, save now. And then it adds this to it. It says, bind the sacrifice to the altar. So that it kind of almost doesn't fit. Lord, save now and bind the sacrifice to the altar. Because what is happening now is Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so as the people around Israel were were picking their lamb, they had to find a lamb that was without blemish. And, um, you know, they had to take that lamb into the home, that, that, that male lamb, and they'd They'd watch it for four days. It would be there for four days. Jesus would be in Jerusalem for four days. And they would observe him, and he would, you know, some of the things he was doing, for instance, cleaning the temple and making sure he was acting in integrity and righteousness before them. He was a sinless sacrifice. And as they were going through this, as they were um, experiencing um, this, you know, praise Time going down into the Kidron Valley as they were going together and they were singing. um, There was another procession happening at the same time, because the high priest and the the, those in the temple area and and the followers were having a celebration as well. And what they would do is they would they would immediately um, they they grabbed found had their um, their sheep they would pick one that was going to be the sheep that was going to be sacrificed by the high priest. And they then was marching, doing a march, and they were singing the same thing. They were singing, save now, okay, they've got a sheep. And they were singing, you know, tie the, the, uh, the sacrifice to the altar. Now, they're marching up, and they're coming up the south entrance. Jesus is marching up, and he's going in the east entrance. And they are going to meet in the temple area. Remember, the, the religious people said about Jesus, they, they told him you know, to, to stop them from their praise and worship as they were praising him. And he said, if they don't, even the rocks will cry out. So Jesus was being selected as the, high, as the, uh, as the lamb to be sacrificed by the people. That's what's going on here. And Not only is that happening, but he is fulfilling one of the most detailed, um, just miraculous prophecies in the Bible. Um, Daniel prophesied, Daniel had had spoken about 500 years prior to this event that there was going to be a decree um, given out to rebuild Jerusalem. And from the time that that decree went out, To rebuild, and of course, the decree has to come from the king, right? And it was. Uh, um, We have actually biblical and archaeological evidence of this that uh, King uh, Artaxerxes sent a decree to rebuild the walls and the temple uh, in Jerusalem. So we know the date of that, and it was 483 years before this event on Palm Sunday. Not only just 483 years, it was 483 years to the day. And Daniel's prophecy says that from that decree it would be that time frame until the Messiah, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, would be cut off, killed. So what we have is Jesus coming as the selected lamb down through, he's going to be sacrificed fulfilling a prophecy that was given over 500 years to the day of him being declared king. And he allowed that because it was time. Remember, oftentimes Jesus would say when he would heal people and do stuff, he'd tell them, hey, don't, don't go telling everybody, you know, and so forth. He would say, my time is not yet. Now is his time. He, he, it was a time in which he would be declared as uh, the sacrifice and worshiped as the the Messiah and then as he comes down and he sees Jerusalem and I've stood at that place many times where he was and he could oversee the city and uh and when you when you see that it's just you know it's, it's just an amazing picture you see the temple mount from the from the Mount of Olives and it's uh it's a, a, just an amazing sight. Well, Jesus sees it and he begins to weep. He 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 goes and he prays, and uh, and and he prays this this amazing prayer about what he would have done. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! He cries. He says, "How I would have gathered you like a hen gatherer chick." I, I just the love that he had. He wanted them so much to see who he was and respond and follow him, and, and, uh, but they wouldn't. And then he makes this interesting statement. He said, um, for they, you have missed the day of your visitation, the day of your visitation. See, what he was referring to was the prophecy that Daniel had. They, they had it before them. They all, everyone in Israel, everyone in Jerusalem has heard that prophecy they forgot. They had this picture of what the Messiah was going to be and they didn't think Jesus was him. But it was the exact time. So Jesus comes in and he's fulfilling that and he says, I would have gathered you but you have missed a day of your visitation. Their sin had blinded them. Their rejection of God had blinded them. Their religiosity had blinded them to the true Savior. And so they didn't see him. And so this... This um, moment in time, and we're coming to a time, and I wonder how many will miss the time when Jesus is calling and Jesus is coming back. How many have such an opportunity to know what God's word says, but will have ignored it, rejected it, and uh, and decided it's not for them? Well, it is for them. It's for everyone, but it's only if you embrace him. And so, um so there's this day is a prophetic day how does it relate with you know the pandemic today that we're facing what what does that have to do and the question has been to me what what do we know about this well we know some things um and but you know the bible says that um the lord does nothing unless he reveals it to uh his prophets and uh and this day, as the first coming of the Lord, and then the, the judgment that was to follow for many years. In fact, the first time Jesus came, there was, uh, there was over 400 years of, you know, the Lord is coming. There's prophecy about his coming, and judgment is coming. And obviously that happened. The Jews, after they rejected Jesus, were scattered all over the world. It took nearly 2,000 years for them to come back to their promised land. And all of them haven't. About half the Jews in the world are actually back in Jerusalem. I don't know if the rest will get there. But what the, the important thing is that God is restoring that city and he's restored that, that nation. And uh, he has a purpose to fulfill in that. But the first time they missed it as he told them. And now we're coming to the second time and you can't miss this one. I mean, there's no second chance after this, and, and, uh, and so you have to be ready for that, and Jesus tells us to be ready, and, uh, and what's going on right now is that there is, in fact, there's been those who have been talking about this kind of thing happening that we're facing today, and Jesus had talked about it, and John has talked about it in the book of Revelation, but there's been modern prophets, I say modern in the sense of, um, you know, in the last uh, few decades in which we have seen people uh, of God. And the one that I highly regard, I some of you have already seen, it, it's been being passed around on the social media, um, um, the uh, prophecy of David Wilkerson in 1986. And David Wilkerson was, um, He he's in a... Uh, I would consider him a modern day prophet. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but David is the man. He's 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 such an, he's a great man of integrity. He's he's solid in his theology and his faith and he he's the man who started uh, teen challenge. I mean, millions of of people have been out, you know, delivered from drugs and 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 out of gangs and so forth all over the world because of his ministry. But David is also um, he's, he's a pastor. He's been a pastor for years. He was a pastor in New York for many years and uh, pastored a, a great church there. And uh, I remember um, when 9-11 hit, I remember this story. I, I, I uh, found out it was like a week after uh, 9-11 hit. And if you remember that on that day, what took place in the morning. Well, his his church is literally a couple blocks away from the Twin Towers. They were just down the road some. And, um, and so um, the, the night before, the day before, actually, it was in the afternoon, I think it was, he was out of town. He wasn't in, in New York. He was out of town, and uh, the Lord spoke to him. And so he called his administrator and said to her, he said, um, I want you to call everybody that you know um, you know, they can, to make sandwiches. And I want them to bring food and sandwiches to the church. Now, this is the night before, and they don't, nobody knows why. It's just God told me to get all this food and sandwiches and bring it to the church. And so they just started bringing them, you know. And hundreds and hundreds of sandwiches were brought, and people just brought them. They didn't know what they, why that was. Well, the next morning, 9-11 hit. And all those people that were working and, and you know, all, all, all those, um, for, you know, the, those people that had jumped in and were helping and doing all that and, and uh, firefighters and police officers and all, um, they were able to come to the church there and, and and get some food and sustain them for a couple days as they were all, you know, doing their best to, to rescue people. So, um this man hears from God, and, and, uh, and, and I, I say that, I want to pre- preface that, because um, I've listened to him for years and, and highly regard him. But let me share with you a prophecy he shared in uh, 1986. He says, I see a plague coming on the world, and the bars, churches, and government will shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles and repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit and out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. I believe that's true. In fact, I believe that's what this is about. I believe this is this is a great awakening that God wants, is that God is bringing, and God is going to shake the world, and He is shaking the world. You know, whenever there is um, a pestilence like this in the Bible, it brought freedom to His people and humility to the world. That that's what 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 has happened. You look at what happened in Egypt, right? Um, that was, you, you see the plagues in Egypt and you see what happened. That as a result of that, God's people were set free and the the Egyptians were humbled um, in acknowledging and recognizing who the Lord was. It was a, a great move of God as a result of that after Pharaoh was destroyed. So um, that, that's what happened. Now, you have to be careful because I know there are people who prophesy and all all kinds be aware of this um i was actually came across this um this one it's one of the top most sold uh and read books on amazon the top it's in the top 20 and it was written by sylvia brown who is a psychic and um and she she prophesied there's going to be this pandemic as well and so forth and it reminded me of a portion of scripture in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and, and disciples were out preaching the gospel and this one woman, this one girl, um, she was. the Bible says she was possessed with the spirit of divination. She was a psychic. And she started prophesying, these are men of God who, who know the way of salvation. I, what she was saying was right, right? What she was saying... But the spirit that was, that was empowering her was wrong, okay? So she's saying what is right, and the spirit is wanting to, her to say what is right. Why? So that she can then be, be looked to and then deceive others. And Paul, after a while, it says he was greatly annoyed. His spirit was annoyed. And then he turned to her and he cast the demon out of her. See, because she was getting her information from Satan, Satan's information will always lead you to destruction, it'll lead you to fear. It'll take you to a place, and it might even be true at times. He speaks half-truths, and some of the times what he says is absolutely true, but then, of course, there's always a twist to it, so be careful. You know, the, there, there is prof- a prophetic word, and when people sense what God is saying, I believe, and it's not the only reason I, I say that, I believe that God is, has, has a plan to turn, as we talked about last week, to turn the, um, that which um, looks like it's a trap for us to a trap of the enemy. And if you, if you haven't uh, listened to that message, I encourage you to do. Last week we talked about that. But, so what I want to do is I, I want to go quickly through, and I want to show you in the Scriptures where these, these plagues are. And the Bible talks about the plagues in the Old Testament. It talks about them in the New Testament. But Jesus prophesied and talked about plagues that were to come. John does in the book of Revelation. What I want to do is I just want to bring some of that, uh, how that fits. Some of you are familiar with the book of Revelation. It'll be easy for you to just kind of picture it. Those of you who aren't, just wait, you'll get it. It won't really be that difficult. But at first you might go, what's he talking about? Um, first of all, um, when Jesus was on um, the, you know, he was, he was uh, giving the Olivet Discourse, he talked about um, th- these coming events that was coming. And, and they were going to start right, you know, after he goes to the cross, they're beginning. Like, it's already happening. And we, we see that, I mean, and you see it, but you see it in history and the early church saw it and they all knew that G, what Jesus was talking about started right then. It wasn't for the future. Well, I shouldn't say that. It is for the future, too. But it wasn't something that was just going to happen in the future. It was happening all the way through. And uh, he described them as birth pains. In fact, in, in Matthew 24, and verse 8, in the ESV, it says, All these are but the beginning of... Of birth pains, so he had made this list, and then he tells them in verse eight, all this is just the beginning of birth pains. So the birth pains are starting now. What do you know about birth pains? Well, um, birth pains, whether you've had them or not, I have not, um, but I have uh, walked my wife uh, through that process, and she made sure I knew exactly what was going on. Um, as she she would start when we started. Uh, in fact, the, our our first child. Um, we thought that when she was having these Braxton Hicks uh, contractions, they were kind of pre-contractions, that that was the real thing. Well, we found out later that that wasn't the real thing. And so, but she, in fact, I shouldn't. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. Carol said, "Oh, these aren't hard at all." And uh, and well, we had some learning to do. But in the but what happens is the contractions start off and they're far apart and they're not, in, not, they're not as intense. But as you get closer to birth, now what's birth in this context? Birth is the return of Jesus Christ. As you get closer to birth, then the contractions become closer and harder, okay? More intense, so there's an intensity that happens. So all these things that Jesus talks about, there, is, there, there has been. In fact, from the time of Christ, those things happen. And, and we'll read them in a second. And then as we're getting closer, there's a greater intensity that's taking place. So, so that's, that's one, that, that, that set is one thing. And then there's another set. And, um, and that is um, the, 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 the scripture talks about in the book of Revelation at the end that there are these things that are happening. They're called seal judgments. Actually, there's three sets of judgments in the book of Revelation. And, um, and they're not simultaneous. They, I mean, they are simultaneous. They, they, they aren't linear. They don't go one after another. They actually overlap. And the seal judgments are also from the time of Christ all the way to the end. But what we read in the book of Revelation, they're actually the same judgments, but we see them in the transition time. We see them at their great intensity, okay? Uh, the same exact ones, but they're at great intensity. So I want you to know that they're not the same, they're not, I'm sorry, different things, they're the same thing. And, uh, and, and the importance of the sealed judgment is, well, extremely important. It tells us in Revelation chapter 5 John is uh, uh, about the seals and he says "As I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne uh, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it now this scroll, we find out, is in fact the title deed to the earth. Our first parents gave it over. We were, our first parents were given uh, um, authority by God, and he said to rule, to reign, and, uh, and they took that rulership and that, reign, that, that ability to reign and to rule and the authority that God had given them over this planet, and they gave it over to the will of Satan. And when they did that, he became the god little G god of this world. If you wonder why the world's a mess because that that event took place. And when they they submitted to him, he became he took he took charge and he has caused havoc on the earth ever since. Jesus came to get it back. See? And so John understood how important this was because in verse number 4 in um, right at the beginning there it says John, when he heard that no one was able to open the scroll or to look at it, it says, so I wept much. I mean, this was in a, a few little tears. He says he is weeping. He is, he is just bawling. He, he understands no one is able to take back from Satan what he has stolen, you see. And so he's brokenhearted about this. He says, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But then one of the elders said, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loosen its seven seals. In other words, there is a kinsman redeemer. Now let me just explain that. In... in um, in, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God had given the children of Israel, each family gave them a, a land. So they all had land it was, um, that they owned, and it was given to them. And it was supposed to be theirs for, you know, for from generation to generation. But people make mistakes, right? People do bad things. They, they squander, and sometimes people would squander and then have to pay it off with their, with their land, and they would sell it. So you have someone else owning the lands and they oftentimes would be slave, slaves themselves even though at one time they, they owned land, now they don't. There was, a, there was a, uh, a, a way to get the land back that God had, well, there's two ways. One is you had to wait till the next Jubilee which would be 50 years uh, time period at, and so whenever that happened, it could be a long time and, and by the way, they just never did it. I mean, God had set it up but they didn't do it. But the other way they could do it is to purchase the land back, but obviously you wouldn't be able to purchase it, but if you had a near relative, a kinsman, and they're called a kinsman redeemer, the kinsman could actually pay pay the price. The story of Ruth and Boaz is that story, where Boaz would become the kinsman redeemer and be able to purchase back the land uh, on behalf of Ruth. So the same thing is happening here. Uh, We need a kinsman redeemer. That's why Jesus became one of us, okay? He became the redeemer, and he purchased the purchase price with the price of his blood, the purchase price back. And so Jesus purchased it back, and he purchased that title deed to the land. Now, if your kinsman redeemer paid off the person who owned the land and says, you know, I'm the kinsman redeemer, that, if that person didn't want to sell it to him, it was too bad. You had to. It wasn't an option. If you had, if the price was, was uh, what it was supposed to be, you had the right to pay it to to buy it off as a kinsman redeemer. Now, if you went to do that. And you actually paid them, but they didn't give the land back. You know, maybe at first they just start off going, "Well, I've got some cattle on the land. I don't really give me some time. I'll get rid of the cattle. Maybe I have a house. I have some things I get rid of. I have to." Maybe he's stalling. But then after a while, the the kinsman redeemer says, "I want that land. Well, you have a actual legal right to physically take it, even if it means violence, even if it if that if if it means you have to." to physically, you know, take it with violence. Well, that's what's happened. Satan doesn't want to give up what Jesus has already paid for. And so Jesus is, in fact, in the process of taking back what is rightfully ours. And the tribulation period is actually that happening. From the kings of the earth, he is taking back Authority over the entire earth when as he returns. Now, in the meantime, there is a process, and we, as the body of Christ, are in fact. The scripture says, "The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force." There is a forceful taking, not 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 military, spiritually. So we take things spiritually. We take over the kingdom of darkness, and we expand. Now, in that process, God is also working, and. One of the things that is happening is that there are events that are um, well they're they 're violent in in force, and in the process there is more land and more there's more kingdom being taken. You see people have asked okay um this plague, who is responsible for this is is this Satan or is this god and the answer is yes it's the the answer is yes. See, God when God is operating, he is punishing evil but he's not punishing believers, right? There there's wrath being poured out but there's not wrath on the body of Christ. God never Operates that way for us because He put it all on Christ. Now we we might be disciplined by the Lord, but th- th- it's not God's it's not God's wrath. So what is w- when these e- events are happening? Satan is trying to do something, and God is using it. And and, and He is in fact, and I believe this. I believe what uh, what uh, what David Wilkerson said. I believe God is getting ready to make and to actually. Um, bring t- together the greatest revival of all time. But there's some things that have to happen in the church, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, I'm running, I'm, I'm going to run through these really, really fast. Um, I have two charts. The first chart, if you take a look at the first chart, you'll see on the top birth pains. And you see that it goes, that, that really starts right at the time of Christ, and it goes all the way to the end, uh, of until um, the, the return of Jesus, you see the seven-year period there. That's the tribulation period. You also see the seal judgments, and the seal judgments are also the same in the same timeline because actually they're the same thing. And but and you you see the seal judgments going through the seven-year period as well. They both end at the seven-year period. And I'm just going to show you what um, how they they. they um, they are the same thing. And some, um, uh, oftentimes this is myths. And because it's missed, there's a misunderstanding of the, the judgments. It, in fact, it, it, it affects the entire understanding of the book of Revelation. You don't get it if you don't get this. Because what you end up having is you have a real long time even though the book, even though the Bible says that that period of time is for for seven years, when if you do it simulata- you, you don't do it simultaneously. You do it one after another. What you end up with is nine and a half years, not seven years. So, um, but what is ha- happens is the judgments are stacked. Now, let me just go real quick. Um, first of all, there there are four the f- four horsemen, and I'll give you an interesting thought on that. The, the, first, um, the, the first thing that Jesus talked about in the birth pains, he said this, take, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying I am Christ and it will deceive many. So you have false Christ coming in. What we see in the seal judgment is, is that a white horse and its rider had a bow and the crown was given to him and he, be, he came conquering and to conquer. So this is the spirit of the antichrist that has started right, in fact, John himself said there are many antichrists, right? Way back in, in 1 John, so, uh, that are in the world. So way back it started. And these antichrists have been coming and going um, throughout history. The, the second one is, Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You've had that happen, haven't you? You that you see that uh, he says, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. You see, so Jesus is saying, listen, there's going to be all these wars. That's not. It's not the end. It, we're, we're we're in birth pains. We're in the process. See, and then, um, but then the sealed judgment, sealed judgment number two, is a rider on a red horse. Now I'll tell you, he, he it says, and and the red horse. He says is bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So the spirit of war is also the same. And so when Jesus said, nation against nation, no rise, kingdom against kingdom, John in the book of Revelation, seal number two says the same thing. Seal, um, birth pain number three, it says, Nationwise, against nation, and so forth, and there will be famines. So there, there's going to be worldwide famines. There have been worldwide famines, and there's places in the world today where there's national famines. There's many people who um, who don't have a meal today. But but um, then John said that there's a rider on a black horse and its writer had a pair of scales in his hand and he says and i heard that it, it, what seemed to be the voice of the mist of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and a quart and 3 quarts of barley for a denarius now um that is interesting because that's basically a, a week's wage for a loaf of bread now uh, you know i don't know what you make per week but just Take, take your salary for the week and say that's how much it costs for one loaf of bread. That would be an expensive piece uh, loaf of bread. But um, but that's what it's saying the same thing, right? Jesus said there's going to be famines. John says, yep, there's going to be famines and it's going it's to be hard to get food. But then there's this interesting phrase here in that verse. And it says, do not harm the oil and the wine. You see that? Do not harm the oil and the wine. What is that? Well, like I remember, these are age long, but the Book of Revelation is telling us about. It's about the the time of intensity. This is this is in this is the time where God is really pouring out His wrath in the in the seven year periods of the tribulation. Notice what it says when it says, "Do not touch, do not harm the oil and the wine." Well, the oil represents the Holy Spirit in Scripture. See, we anoint with oil, representing the Holy Spirit in in Scripture. And the wine represents the blood of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. So who's the oil and the wine? Well, it's the believers. So he says, so what is, is there's protection over the believer's when this is happening, he says there's going, to be, there's going to be famines, there's going to be pestilence, all these things. He's saying do not harm the oil and the wine. There's a protection on the believers. In fact, there's one plague, one of the most intense plagues in the tribulation period um, that, that um, the Bible says that, that the demonic spirits that go out are, set, are spoken to by God that they are only to harm those who have taken the mark of the beast. And there's, a, and, and there's such an intensity that of this sickness that people uh, have it for five months, it says, and they wish they were dead, okay? They, they seek death, but they can't find it. That's how bad it is. And so that's something that's going to happen, but it doesn't happen to the believers. It's, it's isolated. Remember, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the, at At the beginning, they got the plagues too, but then God had separated the plagues and and at some at one point, then all the plagues were in Egypt, but not uh, where the Jews were in in Goshen, where the children of God were in Goshen so God intends during that great, intense time to protect his people during that time because he 's pouring out his wrath in full force at that point so then um <clears throat> So, then in in verse um, seven, the fourth birth pain it says, "Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence." There it is. Okay, pestilence. We have a pestilence, and the pestilence is uh, this pandemic, and it's pan because it's worldwide, and um, and and it's mentioned in the the book of Revelation chapter six of the seal judgment. And it says, and I looked and behold a pale or pale horse. Now that word pale, that's in the original language here, that, that uh, Greek language in the Greek here, it actually, the word pale is actually green. It's kind of like when somebody's sick. You'll say they're pale, or sometimes you'll say they look green, right? And so that—that just—that's what it is. That's where that word actually comes from. But it actually, yeah, the, the the English, some of the English translations, use pale because it's, it originally wasn't a King James version. But it is, in fact, green. And since this writer's name was Death and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. So the fourth of the earth, that means it is limited. It, it, you say, well, uh, you know, do a fourth of the earth die? No, not necessarily. They're given authority over it with all these pestilence. They're hitting a fourth of the earth. What fourth of the earth? Well, I think I can prove from... Other places in scripture that that this is a, this attack is coming on the on the antichrist kingdom on the antichrist kingdom now here 's an interesting thought, and i 'll let you just play with this um, the, the The four horsemen are are what they're the white the four horses are white, black, red, and green it 's actually white, red, black, and green so what is white, black, red, black, and green? Well, if you take a look at the, fl- the colors of the nations, the flags of the nations of the earth, you, it will be incredibly interesting to you to find that the flags of the earth that have their colors as white, red, black, and green are, in fact, the Muslim nations that surround Israel. Now, what, what does that mean other than I think that this attack is both on and from the nations that, uh, the, the Islamic nations under the Antichrist in the last days. Now, um, verse, um, let me just kind of close with this and because I don't have time to read it all. But the birth pains are, uh, it says in, in verse 9 of Matthew 24, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all the nations for, for my name's sake. That means there's persecution involved. So there is persecution that takes place. And um, verse, um, verse 9 says, He opened the fifth seal and, the sun, and under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So that, that is the, the, the attack upon the church in the Antichrist kingdom, by the way. The Antichrist kingdom is not the world. Antichrist kingdom is ten, a ten-nation confederacy. In verse, 20, in verse 29 of, of uh, the, the sixth one, is immediately after the tribulation, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give, give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. There's this cosmic event after the tribulation and prior to... Um, the coming of the Lord. It says all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll look up. They see that Christ is coming. They will see the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven with great glory. We see that same thing happening in Revelation chapter 12. The sun became black like cloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky of the earth. So you can see how there's this parallel that's going on. And that takes you to the coming of the Lord. That's the end so it takes you both of these take you right up to the end and then it, it uh, then finally it tells us that there's um both in Reve- in uh in revelation 8 that there's um these thunders and rumblings and flashing of light and earthquake there's this cosmic event coming of the lord there's a time of silence because judgment is happening and we see the same thing in matthew um Twenty-four thirty-one. so anyhow there that's where we go and what so he's saying what how is this fit well this is in fact a birth pain that's what we're going through say well it seems like a heavy one yeah well it is it's it's a heavy birth pain jesus is in charge i'll tell you what revival is coming but there's some things that have to happen i'm, I'm going to close with this You, we can stop this pen, pen, pandemic. We can stop it. There are some things happening already now. I mean, people are praying great things. I was talking to um, an engineer who uh, uh, has been part of our church. He is actually working on um, a, a project for, for these ventilators. And uh, they're working on something. I don't know all the details. You know, cheaper, faster, better, all of that. He said he's never seen in in his lifetime working um, anything like this because of how things are happening miraculously. Things that would take uh, one to two years to happen are happening in days, less than a week. He was talking about an incident where when they're making these things, they have to consult. There's a process they have to go through, consult with these doctors. They normally will ask the doctors to, you know, they have to get a group of doctors together and kind of help them with this process. And it usually takes months, years even. And he said... He, they make the phone call. The, doc, the doctor answers. He usually, the doctor wouldn't be the one to answer, but he answers. He tells them what they want. He says, oh, well, I've got a group of doctors right here. We're all together. The very people you need, ask what you will. They ask them, and it's done. that That's thats the kind of stuff that's happening, but we're not there yet because we have to have these things. Look what it says. In Second Chronicles 7.14, this is, in fact, the key of making it happen if my people are called by my name will humble themselves and pray now we're all praying right but but there's four things mentioned here will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and heal their land we've got one of them going we're praying people are praying we've got we got a huge prayer meeting Uh, tomorrow across the land people are joining in in prayer Um, I'm thankful our president a couple weeks ago asked for a day of prayer we all you know we pray we're praying but prayer this way just praying for the hand of God will not be enough for what God wants to do and to stop all this this is what it takes and this is how it's worked throughout history number one you have to humble yourself The church needs to humble itself. We humble ourselves two ways. Physically, we humble ourselves when we get on our knees before God. Second of all, we humble ourselves with fasting. The scripture says to humble yourself with fasting. So we humble ourselves physically getting down and humbling ourselves before God. And we do it by fasting. So we're praying. Um, and, And so I'm asking you if you would join me tomorrow in fasting. Maybe it's just one meal. Maybe it's the entire day, if you physically are able to. Maybe it's just, um, if you're not physically, maybe, um, you know, you have a, uh, something in that you are not able to do that physically. Um, then there's other ways to fast, and you can do that. You can, you know, keep them eating certain things. I'm sure that's happening already because no one wants to go to the store. So, anyhow, we, um, we, we humble ourselves, we pray, Then it says, seek my face. What's that about? Well, you see, when we're going through things, what do we usually do? We're seeking God's hand. We say, God, do this for us, do this for us. We're asking God to get us out of this mess, to help us in this situation, because we don't like it anymore. We're uncomfortable. You know, God, fix this. So we're asking for his hand, but we forget that the, the Lord wants us it's more about with him, our relationship with him to seek his face. Seeking his face means seeking his pleasure. And then he says, and turn from your wicked ways. And that's, that's repentance. This is repentance. This is where we say, Lord, you know, forgive us. We've sinned against you. And this is where we identify with the sins of our people, the sins of our nation. Forgive us for the sins of our nation. The abortions that, you know, the, the horror of what we've done in this nation. The, the people killed, the, the mistreatment of others, the moral failure in our nation. We take it lightly, God doesn't. Because see, what we're asking for is God to heal our land, forgive our sins and heal our land. Our land is sick. Our land is sick because God has lifted his presence. And if we want God's presence back, if we want our land healed, we have to pray, we have to humble ourselves, we we have to seek his face, we have to turn from our wicked ways. And when the church does this, knows it's my people, he says. This isn't the world. You can you can go, well, they're never going to do that. I mean, I, I, you, know, I, I, those, they're, they're, you know, this country, There's not. they're never going to do that. He's not asking for everybody to do it. He's just asking for us to do it. So I want to invite you to pray with me. If you physically can do this, would you kneel down with me where you are? And let's talk to God. Father, Father God, today we... Uh, Lord, as we're we're reminded of that that day when you were declared the the Lamb of God, you're the 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 one who would make the sacrifice, and you walk down that trail that you will return to someday, and we're looking forward to that day that that's going to happen, Lord. Lord, our nation needs you; the world needs you. We ask for your help. We have. Gone away we've we've turned our back on you we've Lord, we've been a nation at one time where it wasn't so easy to reject, Lord, now it's like it seems like it's not only commonplace, it's in vogue, Lord, to reject you. People get get upset when your name is brought up, and they use it so easily in vain. I ask God you forgive us. I ask you to forgive us for, Lord, taking human life, Lord, without regard. Lord we've, we've been, Lord, we've been evil in that. And I ask you to forgive us. I ask, God, that you would heal our land. You forgive us of our sin, Lord. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And I pray, God, that, Lord, as we, Lord, as a church, begin to recognize that, Lord God, you're the only answer that the world will recognize it too. Lord, all of our efforts will always come short without you. And, Lord, we're not relying on human hands. We're relying on you. We know that behind everything, Lord God, is a spiritual dimension that, Lord, has ignored. And I ask, God, for you to forgive us. Help us to follow you, Jesus. Help us to live for you. Help us to lay down, Lord, our greed and, Lord, these things that you're shaking from us, Lord. When we, so many people are just shaken, Lord, because we've we've tied everything to our materialism. God, forgive us. Help us, Lord. Heal our land. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know this has been a tough one. Next week, we're going to celebrate. He is risen. He is risen. Join us. Don't forget to join us also on Good Friday. We are, we're going to continue our study on Wednesday as well. Let's close in worship.
1: Just the only one who could ever say You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh we live for you, Jesus the name, Jesus the name above every other name, Jesus the only one who could ever sing, you're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, We live for you, oh we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder. this declaration together. What a firm foundation you are. Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. We look to you today, God. So I will build my life upon your love. In fixed on you today. Our gaze is set upon you, God. Firm foundation. Faithful. You just sing this with us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Let's do that again. Turn. Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Just one last time things of earth, oh, when the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory.